Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas going to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, where it was rocking with the best college football environment in America late last night. I was in the building for it. Nothing nothing compares. Nothing compares to when Neyland Stadium and the Coliseum itself is rocking on a fall Saturday night, dark mode activated. Dad came up for the game, which was a lot of fun. Glad we were able to do that. Uh, just an all-around great college football Saturday. And to talk all about it, my good friend, Philly University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is uh, it's good to be back with you here. Uh, talking ball, following up week five. Uh, I have a question. Was your dad wearing any orange on Saturday? It's funny you bring this up. First thing I said to my father, love my dad. First thing I said, he gets a, he's not a not a stylish man. He's not one for uh, a lot of wardrobe in his in his older years here. So he 
he comes into the house. He comes to the game in the afternoon. We were going to go get some food and watch the Georgia game and the end of Kentucky, Florida out and uh, hang out before we, ha- we made our way to campus. And the man shows up in like this blue plaid t-shirt, Magellan t-shirt over this like navy blue shirt and this the oldest Tennessee hat, orange Tennessee hat I've ever seen. I've never seen him with it. And he just popped. I'm like, where I bought him or he was out. I don't know if I bought it for him or whatever. We were at a Tennessee, South Carolina game two years ago. It was a really nice like ball traditions hat. He like never wears it. And this was like the prime opportunity. So he found it. He said he found it somewhere. And so he had this and oh man, like when I say my dad would, he was the where's Waldo at Neyland stadium on Saturday, because if you were looking for somebody not in black or orange on uh, Saturday night, you'll find my dad. He was, uh, <laughs> and then the, this is all it's just so funny you asked me this because the next like today i was talking to my mom uh with my wife uh th- today and she reveals that he drove home in like an orange polo he like walked in the door <laughs> of my polo, like, just what it was That's the most funny. dad situation this weekend i've ever seen in terms of hey, i respect it he was like i don't i don't want to support what what tennessee's got going on up here um yeah, I feel like I since it's they're rocking black. I think he could just he could have just gotten away with like a black little Georgia, a little subtle like Georgia shirt, you know, that was black. But he's like, I'm here for Tennessee, but I'm ready for my colors. But I mean, when I went to a Florida game with my buddy uh, several years ago, like game day was at Florida, South Carolina that year. It was like 2012, mm-hmm. and I had like the Todd Gurley at the time jersey on and everything. And then it's like these dudes were like cool and us park in front of their place. So I was like, okay, I'll, I don't want to be that guy. I just put, I had a sports bar that I worked at, just a blue shirt, mm-hmm. uh, the Derby. And so I rocked the blue shirt. It's like, I was a Florida fan, like for the day. And, and that, that day we needed, uh, we needed Florida to beat South Carolina. Cause that was the year, uh, South Carolina beat Georgia of clowny and everything. But mm. yeah, so I feel like when you're when in Rome, like if, if I'm your pops, I would have at least uh, you know had had the black going. So at least I was part of the festivities. I mean, he has a Tennessee stuff. It's like he's he's he likes both. And obviously, I mean, he has a Tennessee dad sticker on the back of his car. He had the black truck. He has a nice black truck that matched everything. It was a really nice. Like when I say that everything was great, had a great time. My dad. We had this um, crazy lady behind us who thankfully stopped yelling in our ear but when i she was yelling over and over again get him get him get him and i'm talking like it just something out of a billy madison movie it was ridiculous in my ear and thankfully uh, that ended because i turned around a couple times just like i was going deaf it was it was enough but um no the seats were great uh it was it was a lot of fun man like uh this was uh due to different circumstances i was not able to get into Neyland Stadium before uh, last night this year, and that was uh, welcomed. And Tennessee also hasn't really, this is the first ten- big Tennessee home game this year because you had Virginia at a neutral site in Nashville, and you had um, Austin P and UTSA uh, to this point. So really not a whole lot of uh, just raucous environment for Neyland Stadium and Knoxville as a whole up until this point. And like Spencer Rattler said, this was our Super Bowl, so we had to we had to go all out uh, to make sure that we won the title, and that we did on Saturday night, Matt Green. Well, are we are we trying to get into it. You want to talk about Tennessee? Lead the show. Uh, is this too much Tennessee talk for for one period, or are we just going to get it all out of the way right now? 
Well, I'm a gentleman, Matt Green. So we can we can start with your team. Your team played first. My dad and I actually sat outside the student union and watched the whole second half of Georgia Auburn before we went into uh, to the Coliseum to see the Vols and Gamecocks do battle uh, under the lights on Saturday. But it was uh, a tale of two halves, which we're now seeing a lot for the Georgia Bulldogs. I think is my biggest takeaway is just you got to wait till the second half, whether it's Auburn, South Carolina. It's just going to be really, really hard to beat the dogs over four full quarters unless, as the broadcast points out, every time the dogs are in a dog fight, pardon the pun, is like the only people to beat Kirby really are the Heisman-type quarterbacks, the C.J. Strouds, the Bryce Youngs. you got to have that kind of quarterback to sustain offensive excellence over four quarters. And Payne Thorne had that 61-yard touchdown run, that or 61-yard play, and to, Auburn was able to run the ball pretty well in the first half and do some stuff, but it wasn't four quarters worth. It was the second half struggled Rob, a lot of Robbie Ashford as the game went on, which we saw how that went a year ago, just kind of very one dimensional that I just don't think uh, you can beat this iteration of Kirby's Bulldogs with is just that kind of one dimensional run first type of offense. I just, I think you keep running into a wall uh, in that, in that way and just makes it that much harder. That was my strong takeaway from what I saw uh, against Jordan Auburn, but this is your team. You've got a better field, Matt Green. What did you see against? Normally, the I would agree with you, and like you showed, like they showed the the last four quarterbacks to beat Georgia, dating back to 2020, and it was what Mac Jones, uh, going all the way back to Joe Burrow, Kyle Trask, you mm-hmm. know, Bryce Young. Like, not only were all those guys Heisman finalists, or a couple won the Heisman, but like all of them had like 400 yards and four mm-hmm. touchdowns in those games too. And yeah, not even including C.J. Stroud, who did had a similar performance. Like Peyton Thorne didn't do anything in the passing game. Like so, the fact that they were just running the ball with no real threat of the pass game, it's like that was probably what worried you the most. Like I don't know how many other teams on Georgia's schedule kind of run this type of offense. Maybe they'll do something like it if it gives Georgia so many uh, problems. But I feel like it, it seemed like at some at one point Auburn made the decision and we were kind of sitting at home like, if they're not going to pass, Robbie Ashford is way better for this system. And he he, he was in for you know a, a drive or so. But I guess Peyton Thorne gives you the threat of the, of the pass. But He's uh he, he really they didn't really do anything in the passing game. So for them to just continue to have these little runs and get to the outside or or Thorne just scramble like I've never seen Peyton Thorne. I Grant, I haven't watched Peyton all of Peyton Thorne's games, right? But I've never mm. seen Peyton Thorne have that sort of uh rushing production. So I think that was definitely frustrating as a as a Georgia fan, but um I think when you're when we talk about Georgia, it's like we do have to acknowledge that we're just talking about them at a different standard, right? It's like if we, because if we go back to 2021, like I remember a certain quarterback whose Heisman moment was beating a six and six Auburn team in Jordan Hare Stadium, like, and that was a game that what, what they score 14 points in regulation and Bryce Young, you know, is a is a gutty win and all that. Like, obviously, I'm not comparing Carson Beck to Bryce Young, but this is Carson Beck's first road start of his career. Like we all know about Jordan Hare stadium. And also when you get somebody, I think is very important too. Like this early in the season, everyone's still got their hopes and dreams of what their season could be. And the, the crowd is pumped. The players are pumped. Like Auburn could win the sec West at this point, right? Going into this Georgia game with one loss uh, on the season. 
So Jordan, Jordan Hare Stadium is one of the loudest environments in, in college football. And I think for Georgia to go on the road, it wasn't pretty by any means. And, and you, if you're talking about where we rank Georgia as among the best teams in college football, then, then yeah, there's some concerns. But I think this was one of the two biggest tests, I think, when we looked at Georgia's schedule preseason. It's, it's Hugh Freeze. It's all at Auburn on the road. Like, being Carson Beck's first road star, like this was a tricky positioned game when you've played a bunch of cupcakes. This is the first like real opponent, no disrespect to South Carolina. Like obviously it's a it's a good a, a legitimate opponent, but it was at home. This is definitely a, the first real challenge. And you saw Georgia was, you know, got off to another slow start, but uh they were still uh they were still able to get it done on the road. I think I think you still have to call it a good win, right? Well, that's what I was gonna ask you. It seems like a lot of the the takeaways from Georgia folks and uh, analysts and uh, what have you looked at this as like a championship just flex from Georgia, that this was a huge win for them, that a lot of teams probably would have gone down playing the way they did for three quarters, but that this says a lot about Georgia's resolve and the makeup of this team and why uh, fans should still uh, not panic about just kind of being in some some close counters with uh, South Carolina and Auburn. Do you share that sentiment or do you think it's a little overblown that Georgia was able uh, to kind of withstand some heavy blows from Auburn in the first half and just be able to get on the other side of that and lock things down, find Brock Bowers over and over again, the defense tightening up. Was that your takeaway or did you come away? It's good to get away from a win. An SEC win is an SEC win. But let's not over overthink Georgia in this regard and give them too much credit for surviving against an Auburn team that still might go seven and five, six and six, depending on how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, I mean, I think that stuff can kind of be overblown. And it's and and if Georgia does win the national championship, like, yeah, in retrospect, you can go back and be like, that was a character building win. Mm. Or championship teams win those games or something. Like, yeah, maybe there's an element to that that when you're Georgia now, you're you're the number one team in the country every week. It's it's the biggest game of the season for anyone that's hosting the number one team in the country, right? So you're going to get everybody's best shot. Jordan, uh, Auburn's obviously a, a huge rivalry to begin with. So like these teams have a lot of a lot of familiarity. Hugh Freeze is a really good offensive mind. Like we we just know that you know he's going to get he's going to have some wrinkles that teams aren't ready for. But I mean, I think when you're the way the game played out, I think it feels like it was uh, like correctable things like, like that Kent state game a year ago, not comparing Auburn to Kent state, but it was, they had just a couple of like, just uncharacteristic things happen, like losing outside containment and guys just breaking long runs. Like, I feel like that's what you saw a lot in the first half, George not being able to set the edge. And so it felt like in the second half, like Javon Bullard, I think in the running game, like, I feel like he made a huge difference just coming up from the safety position. Like he, he that dude just has a nose for the ball, but I mean, this team is not—it's not 2021 or 2022. Like Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and and Devonte Wyatt aren't on this team. So I think Georgia's still really good, but I think there is, you know, a level that maybe they're not quite as elite as as we thought going into the season. But that doesn't mean they're not still the number one team in the country. You know, it's like we've seen Florida State beat Boston College by two on the road, like. Uh, the Clemson game, like, I mean, if Clemson had a competent kicker, Clemson beats Florida State uh, last week. So 
it's a I, th I think if you're talking about just pressing the panic button, it's it's too early. Like as a Georgia fan, if that's not if, if that's not a good Auburn team, then obviously you want to beat them by more than one touchdown. But I think I, my biggest takeaway, to be honest, was that Georgia's definitely got a quarterback. Like I think Carson mm. Beck hit, proved on Saturday, like because that that interception, I don't really put that on Beck. Like that's that's just a great defensive play. Like the way he just came over the top of the receiver. Also, like. Auburn's two touchdown drives in this game were both off of turnovers with a short field. So as much as they were giving up in the running game, and it was the first 200-yard rushing game Georgia's allowed uh, since 2018 at LSU. So they were able to, to overcome some adversity and win a game like this. I think it, it does say a lot, and mainly because this is what we talked about with Georgia. Like They might not be as good as last year, but their schedule – Who's going to expose it? Like that's that's what it comes down to. It's it's a favorable schedule. But when I saw Carson Beck on, on Saturday, I felt like that like fifteen to twenty five yard like those intermediate throws. I think he is so much better than Stetson Bennett. I think that's where you can see like the difference in like the arm talent between Carson Beck and and Stetson Bennett. Like he's missed a couple deep shots. Like he missed one uh, last week uh, against South or. What was that? Was that UAB or South Carolina? He he missed a wide open guy, but um, missing an Oscar Delp like could have been like a sixty yard touchdown early in this game. But um, I think Carson Beck really to me showed that like as far as the contenders go, like I'll put Caleb Williams and and Quinn Ewers above Carson Beck, but I don't I don't think anyone else has a a distinguishable advantage at quarterback over 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 what Georgia's got with Carson Beck. And at the end of the day they have Brock Bowers and he might be the best player in college football. Like this guy snagging shit with one hand. Like he was just, they were absolutely feeding this man. And uh, it, it may have took taken a little bit long for them to start feeding him. But I think uh, when you have that guy and I think with Georgia's weapons, this, the offensive line is probably the, the biggest concern from, from uh, the first five weeks is that they're just not necessarily dominating teams on the ground like you kind of expected them to and and they, they have the Amarius Mims injury that's definitely a, a factor in that but I think even before that it's just it's not necessarily the dominant O-line play you thought you were going to get but I think you know if these few running backs can stay healthy um and I'm, I'm honestly I think it's at this point it's it's um Dejon Edwards and, and Dylan Bell really are like the only two running backs that really look like they give you anything right now. Like, I don't know if Kendall Milton is is still not healthy or what, but um, at this point you just can't really count on him being healthy. So as long as they don't get, you know, an injury to the running back, cause that position is, is lacking a lot of depth. I think Georgia still has enough firepower to, to beat every team that's, that's left on their schedule. We should also, if we're going to talk um, Georgia Auburn, the fact that we haven't mentioned Brock Bowers and the one-handed catches that he pulled off in this game, just really putting the That's team on saying. his just really putting the team on his back. That helps a young quarterback or a quarterback on the road. It's like don't overthink some of this stuff. Or it's like, hey, um, this is your first road test, Braucus environment at Jordan Hare. Just just go find Brock Bowers. Find 19, put it within reach. And I mean, he had some weird drops too. Uh when Georgia was driving near the goal line where like oh brock usually catches those where they had to settle for a field goal um i forgot he what is drive one it of those it's like uh i don't know like an andrew jones error or something mm -hmm. you know you're like i mean 
that wasn't an error, but usually he just makes all the great plays. I yeah. just expect him to make. But yeah, there was the one because the one right there at the at the goal line. I think if mm. you're talking about that, like that, I think the defensive back actually knocked it down. But the play right before that it was like a back yeah. shoulder throw, right? Yeah, it's like it would have been a great catch, but it's like Bowers like typically catches everything thrown to him. And he was great. Edwards was great. Um, but on the defensive side of things, have you seen enough where you think teams are going to be able to run the football? Good teams are going to be able to run the football on this Georgia run. You mentioned Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, and some of those guys are just not on this defense uh, anymore. I think Chaz Chambliss had a really good game uh, from what I saw too uh, in this one. But Malachi Starks, obviously all over the place. To you, is there more opportunity for Tennessee who has a three-headed monster running back? And just a heads up, they're going to try to run on Georgia. Like that is what they want to do. They ran all over. They're taking the ball out of Joe Milton's hands and they are just going to bet on running it down your throat um, and creating havoc with Dylan Sampson and uh, Jalen Wright. But this won't be the last team to try and do this. I mean, Missouri, um, Brady Cook's cooking a little bit. Ray Davis, um, obviously, we'll get to in his big day for Kentucky. With some big backs and teams that really want to run the football, did you see enough that Auburn kind of worries you about what teams are going to be able to do on the ground against Georgia that they have not been able to do in the last couple of years? I mean, I think it's definitely a concern because teams just never run on Georgia. So mm -hmm. the fact that a team that really had no threat of the past was able to run on Georgia, I mean, I think that's what you have to be concerned about. But I also think there's something about Auburn's running game that is also just kind of a different look that I'm not mm -hmm. sure like someone like Kentucky can can replicate, you know. And also, I really do think the the home field aspect of it too is just it's a game changer like you you saw what florida was when tennessee was at home like in that big game in their atmosphere like that they almost ran the ball at will like mm -hmm. on the road the two the other two games they've had uh big games they've had on the road they're a completely different team so i mm -hmm. think i think when when teams just get that that home crowd behind them it's like you're able to get to a level that you're not normally at and so i think I don't know. I don't want to make the whole excuse like I'm making excuses for Georgia because of Jordan Hare Stadium, like it's some sort of superpower. But I think Jordan Hare Stadium is like a uh, just a tough place to play. So you've got to be concerned with how they were doing it because Joe Milton, he might not be as advertised so far through this season, but he's a hell of a lot better than Peyton Thorne is. So there's there's other teams that do want to run the ball that might actually have a competent passing game um, and that might be something that George has to worry about. But I do think the secondary is probably the the strong point of this defense uh, so far through this mm. season. But I think Jamon Dumas Johnson is a guy who, who's gotten a lot of criticism so far. Um, just, I don't know, looks a step slow or just, or, or something. Cause he's, he's had a couple rough games and, and I think that's kind of where some of Georgia's problems lie. It's just, they're not tackling just at just the sure tackling that we're, t we're used to seeing from Georgia. You just, you're not necessarily seeing that. It's just not as crisp, I think, through the first five games. All right. Well, speaking of things that aren't crisp through the first five games, Matt Green, the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, they get another win to move to four and one um, on the season. Uh, this was, uh, like I said, this was, I, I've been to a lot of games uh, inside Neyland Stadium, and this was, I think, the loudest I've ever uh, I've ever heard it, and it was it was rocking from the beginning. Obviously, dark mode gets a lot of folks riled up. This was 
I mean, there were so many things, Matt Green, to touch on here because coming in, I thought Tennessee would have to score a lot. I was worried about the defense, worried about the lulls where Tennessee is known to have some just some some really tough quarters where um, they really just like the third quarter last week against UTSA where they just gave up uh, all kinds of yards and just kind of slept walk. The offense went into a rut and the game got away from him for a quarter against Florida. Florida scores three touchdowns in the second quarter. Tennessee just can't get off the field. They struggle offensively, throw a bad pick. Like you've seen it for uh, a different quarter in bigger competition this year. And like the Virginia game turned out to mean nothing. I mean, Virginia is now 0 and 5. So that, that really is, there's nothing to gleam from that one in the opener. And I think this was one of those games that I mean, I said before that this was a must win for both programs because I don't know if you've looked at South Carolina's schedule the rest of the way, Matt Green, but the march to six wins is, I don't think, going to happen. I think it requires a lot of help and some teams really falling apart down the stretch. I think you're looking at five and seven, and you see the the comparisons to Muschamp and Beamer uh, to this point uh, in their South Carolina tenures. They're almost identical. So I think there's real questions about that program and where they're going after this kind How of many game retweets did much champ get though that is true so uh, these are I the things that are important yeah i won't say anything on that um but matt green so this game was it really came down to the trenches i think more than anything i don't know how much of this game you watched on saturday night but oh yeah james pierce who i predicted as the breakout candidate before the year he's an absolute dude true sophomore four star out of north carolina he came on the scene, number 27, for the good folks who are not uh, diehard Tennessee fans and uh, not familiar with James Pierce. You will be as the season goes on. Two sacks in this one. He was the one who got to Spencer Rattler, where Spencer Rattler had to airmail a pass over the South Carolina wide receiver's head. Kamal Haddon just happened to be in the right place at the right time, takes it back to the house for six right before the half. It was a huge swing. It was the game, really, because that then you're like sudden- it was the game right there. Well, because you go down 24 10 at the half and Tennessee gets the ball back. So that was the other part of it. You got aggressive right before the end of the half and you're not even getting the ball back to start the the second half. So then Tennessee goes up three touchdowns um, and really never, the game was really out of reach because. And that's not the first time Beamer has made some questionable like halftime type decisions like that. I remember the 2021 Georgia game, like passing out of his own end zone and got a safety and then Georgia would get more points before the half. It was like, I feel like Beamer, uh, he's done some questionable, some qu- questionable strategic things before the half. Yeah, and I think that it was tough. I didn't really understand the game plan. They really put Spencer Rattler in a bad way. He got, he. I just don't know how he gets through this whole season. He got destroyed um, in this one. Whether it was Tyler Barron, James Pierce, Jonathan Josephs, Omar Norman Lott, Tennessee's front four just destroyed the freshman tackles uh, and freshman uh, offensive linemen for South Carolina in this one and just dominated the trenches. Um, Spencer Rattler was, uh, for lack of a better term, rattled in the second half when I texted you with some of the officiating where Spencer Rattler steps out of bounds the back of the end zone where we were and gets away from it in the play before uh, the running. Oh, back. you thought? I thought he got that off. Like, I feel like if that was travel, if that was a basketball, he wouldn't have gotten called for the travel. Like, Well, even if he that, was, he was inside he the pocket. He just barely got it off. And it was intentional grounding. Like if that's the case, then you throw it. There was a flag somewhere. And then it was it was just clear that they were they were in tough water. You had the catch of the year that won't be beat. I'm going to go ahead and guess with Squirrel even saying after he never saw the ball. It just hits him in the leg uh, in the corner 
of the one yard line from Joe. It was the only deep ball you saw from Tennessee all game long. Uh, the worst part of the game was Brew McCoy had a nasty injury Oof. that we saw immediately, and it got ugly quick. And just seeing all the ball reactions was just terrible. Yeah, Marcus Lattimore vibes, I yeah. feel like. And, I mean, it was revealed today he had successful surgery and he, um, hopefully on the mend and that he'll be able to get back to uh, full strength because Brew is awesome. And I, Caleb Webb ended up feeling, uh, fielding a lot of his snaps uh, the rest of the way. But Tennessee's going to have a rotation now because Dante Thornton was out with a hammy issue and um we're gonna see how that wide receiver room shakes out because they're beat up right now uh by and large um so we'll see but this was also the return of cooper mace matt green and cooper at center made a gigantic difference because tennessee's front only gave up one sack and it was a joe milton sack in this one where he held the ball too long that wasn't on the offensive line mincy being back at right tackle and started and played every snap there um john campbell at left tackle was great Sprags at uh, right guard was great and they dominated like that was the healthiest Tennessee's offensive line has been all year long and you see a different kind of Tennessee team when they're healthy uh, at that front and I think getting Cooper back cannot be understated how important that was to Tennessee establishing themselves and getting a dub um, against South Carolina last night and then the last thing I'll say before I turn it over to you to get your perspective Matt Green was Jalen Wright and Dylan Sampson are just a lethal one-two punch. Uh, 7.7 yards per carry. Jalen Wright obviously had the big touchdown early. Um, and Dylan Sampson's just twitchy. He's really hard to bring down. He's really, really tough to handle in space. And Tennessee's going to run the ball down your throat. Like, that is what's happening. For the folks who are waiting for Tennessee to start opening up um, the playbook to what it was the last two years with Hendon Hooker, it's just not coming. That's not the game plan. There's no trust uh, to play that way with Joe. And there wasn't a lot of intermediate stuff. They're not taking the deep shots. And why would you, when you're able to run the way Tennessee has uh, to this point, you have the kind of backs that Tennessee does right now. It's just the point of all this is to win games. If it's not flashy, yeah, it's not as fun. But Joe had two picks in this one. He was not good. Uh, by and large but he's also doing just enough to win like he's not killing you he's not costing the game and when you look around the sec most teams are or most fan bases aren't happy really with the way their quarterbacks are playing so you're kind of in that similar boat but the difference is you're four and one you have a lot to be positive about and uh it's a big program win and now you get a bye to get healthy in two weeks to prepare for a very good AM team uh coming to town after this yeah, this is a solid time for a buy. Um, yeah, I I can't really add much to what you were saying. I thought uh, I I, I was impressed because I felt like with how Tennessee started, it felt like oh, this thing could like potentially turn into a route black mo dark mode, and you know that just the energy in the stadium. And it felt like South Carolina did a good job of kind of like you know going blows for blow for, like early on, but it it felt like it was different after that pick six going into the half like next time they take the field like they're they're down three touchdowns uh um next time the offense is on the field they're down three touchdowns so it's like it, it that just totally broke the game open but yeah i mean joe milton obviously throw through a couple picks like he there's still room for improvement for him but like you've said before like this this team is based on running the football and if they're able to consistently run the ball um they're just joe milton is dangerous enough to where like this offense is is going to be dangerous against anybody so it was a, obviously a big win for Tennessee. Had to get back on track. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's all I got. All right. Where are we going next, Matt Green? 
Oh, where are we going next? You want to stay in the SEC? Let's uh, let's stay in the SEC. Uh, Kentucky absolutely dominated Florida. Ray Davis, man, I was getting Jacquez Rogers vibes from this guy. I, I don't think he's that small, but he was uh, just a, just like a little guy that just just carrying the load like between the tackles. It was it was just ridiculous the way this man was literally getting like eighteen yards every time he touched the ball. Like I think going in the half. He was literally averaging 18 yards a carry. First two plays of the second half, it's like 15-yard carry, 30-yard carry. It's like if they wanted to, this man might could have set the uh, NCAA rushing record uh, on Saturday. Like you think he had 250 at the half or, or something like that. Yeah, end up with 280 and four touchdowns. Like I felt like I felt very vindicated on my uh, opinion of the Florida Gators. Like. Even though like I predicted them to beat Tennessee, I never thought they were better than Tennessee. I never really thought they were a good team. And I think once you go on the road, what so this is the um the green line stat of the week. Mm. Florida Gators have now lost nine of their last 10 road games. And that's five of six, five of their last six under Billy Napier. So um it is a whole nother ball game when you go on the road versus playing at home uh, in college football. And I think there's no better example of that than Florida. They're just, this is not a very good team. And when you're not a very good team, I just don't think you, I don't think you travel well. No. And look, I think it's so weird to see how they play on the road. Like you said, because look, they, if you, when you look at it, Montreal Johnson, 10 carries 42 yards, Trevor ATN, 11 carries 29 yards. And you look at, um, Graham Mertz overall stats, 25 at 30, 244, 8.1 yards per attempt. If you look at it, it's like they're pretty decent, but it's not scary. They're, they don't really have the receivers right now who can separate anybody, can really scary. Ricky Pearsall can have uh, some crazy catches like he did a week ago, but there's just not a lot of juice, um, and they don't get up for these road games. Like The offensive line got just beat up by uh, Kentucky's defense and Kentucky's defensive line, and they played fantastic going up 23-7 at the half, and um it was a rough look but i also ray davis obviously 26 carries 280 10.8 yards per attempt three tds he had that long 75 yard run like he was electric and ray davis is a really good player and has been great uh all year long but my question here is still devin leary at home 9 and 19 69 yards 3.6 yards per attempt um he hasn't been good and when you look at uh, where he was graded at this week in QBR, the only three quarterbacks who are worse in the SEC this year, this week, and even in a win for Leary, Spencer Rattler, who had a rough night at Knoxville, KJ Jefferson, who we'll get to, and Will Rogers, who will also uh, get to Matt Green. Devin Leary's been bad uh, so, so far uh, at Kentucky. And as much Tennessee fans complain about uh, Joe Milton, I mean, Devin Leary has not shown me anything. That leads me to believe that this Kentucky team is going to be able to handle things when they can't rely on Ray Davis to uh, carry them to victory. And I mean, it was a great day at home and all that, but there are bigger competitions on the way. It's a big win for Kentucky. They are now quietly <laughs> starting to dominate this rivalry in the last four years, um, which makes you concerned if you're a Florida fan about where the program's going because you can't just keep losing to Kentucky. Um, they've, they've won they've, four of the last six now after losing 31 in a row and six of those nine losses are by one score and i just i don't know like it he was 
I don't know. I, I just I don't know what to do or what to make of Florida other than I just think they're like a five and seven, six and six team. I think them and uh, South Carolina are in similar boats where you're just like, I don't know, man, you're we're nearing some interesting times uh, for this uh, these two situations and you're kind of falling behind a little bit. You're seeing Mizzou have a great start to the year. And I, I don't know. I think if I'm a Florida fan, I'm very nervous about how the rest of the season is going to ultimately unfold. You still got some huge, huge conference game. You haven't played Georgia yet. You still got to play Florida State. You still got to play Mizzou. Um, I think this was one you needed. You still have to play South Carolina. Like there's still a lot of big games in this calendar and you've got two losses. So they're like, they are going to be fighting for ball eligibility at the end of the year. And I don't know, like it, this was, this was a tough loss, but if you're a Kentucky fan, you're like, man, that was awesome. That was, I mean, from CBS sports, they said that that was the second most rushing yards Florida has ever allowed in a single game. I mean, I just, I don't know. I think it was a great win for Kentucky, but it's also kind of weird. And if you're a Florida fan, scary that Kentucky is just out physically Florida year in year out now, it seems. Yeah, without a doubt, because the way they the way Kentucky beats them is is gotta be the part that's, you know, it's like this isn't a fluke. This mm-hmm. is just another team just just out physicaling you. But um, like, yeah, we were just talking about with South Carolina, like trying to find the wins on the rest of their schedule. Like, I think I saw a South Carolina fan talking about like this Florida game was a must win, already counting Missouri and AM as losses, right? Just trying to go through and find the six wins. If South Carolina is talking about the Florida game being a must win, you better believe Florida fans think the South Carolina game is a must win. And, and South Carolina is going to be coming off a bye, too. And let's not forget this team also lost to Vanderbilt who they're, uh, a year ago, who they're they're going to play this week. So I think Florida is going to beat Vanderbilt, but I don't know that. Um, but it is at home. But yeah, they still have Arkansas and LSU and Missouri and obviously Georgia and Florida State, like you said. So it's... It's even tougher than than South Carolina's schedule looking looking for because at least South Carolina's already played uh, North Carolina and they've already played Georgia to this point. Absolutely. Um, you want to hit up uh, Notre Dame and Duke, where Notre Dame gets uh, they really probably should have uh, lost this game. I think even Notre Dame fans would say they they got away with one here to escape not like any any nefarious stuff, but just how that game ended and what it looked like, especially late in that one, that Duke was going to get the dub. Um, what did you make of Notre Dame? Cause I wonder if we have the same perspective on Notre Dame coming out of this one. I'm not sure. Like I felt like watching Notre Dame in Ohio state, like, like, you know, there's these low scoring games. You can just say, Oh, this is terrible football. Or you can say, Oh, this is just, this is great defense, competitive, uh, grind it out game, you know, and that's kind of what it felt like. These are two really good teams that have good offenses, but they also have really good defense that get stingy in in the red zone, right? But um, seeing them play like this against Duke, and it's no disrespect to Duke, I guess it has to be disrespect to Duke, <laughs> that this team that just went back and forth with Ohio State the week before is now going back and forth with Duke. It's kind of like, okay, well, is is Duke this legit? Are they are they a big time team, or is Notre Dame not quite as good as we thought? And it's probably a combination of both. But I I think we kind of thought Notre Dame was going to do this, be the same team they've always been, and now they have a quarterback that can go vertical, right? And it feels kind of like Notre Dame is still the same team they've been. Like so, <clears throat> Sam Hartman, 
that fourth and 16 play, that was a legendary play. I oh, also I got a shout out. Sidebar. Mm. Tori is Tori is officially not a fan of Sam Hartman because she had Duke in the under, Duke in the the plus 6. And that cost her the pick'em this week. So mm. Sam Hartman really not any, not doing any favors with uh with Tori as a, as a sidebar. But um, yeah, even I mean, after that he went to go check on Riley Leonard, did she see that? Like the the <laughs> class shown by Sam Hartman. I was I was trying to tell. I was like, he's at least objectively handsome. We can all agree on that. Um, they were the ones who started it, and we just followed along with uh, what our <laughs> wives were saying. Matt Green, we just. We got on the train after we we joined it after uh, they started it. You know this, and, and so you know I'm a I'm a Georgia fan over here talking about going at Auburn as a as a big time win because it was a hostile environment. So I think Jordan Hare Stadium is a little bit different than a uh, Wallace Wade Stadium. Is that Duke? I believe. I think that's correct. Um, yeah. it's a little bit different atmosphere, a little bit different uh stadium capacity. But Duke could easily be a better team than Auburn this year. And so Riley Leonard is a, you know, a super dynamic uh, athlete at the quarterback position. So to go on the road with, I feel like, a good Duke team, it's hard to call it a, a bad win by any means. You found a way to win the game, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the name of the game, right? And it was a, it was a clutch way that they got it done. But um, it felt like Duke more than anything – I felt like this game, like obviously Notre Dame found a way to win, but it, it felt like Florida State Clemson a week ago to me that Duke should have won this game. Would they miss a 28-yard field goal and a 35-yard field goal in this one? Like turned it over a couple times. Like th- there's some missed opportunities that I feel like Duke easily uh, could have won this game. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think Duke played really well. They have nothing to hang their heads about. I mean, obviously you want to, come away with a win but the tight ends for Notre Dame is a big part to me like Irish Irish Illustrated had this because the Hartman to Evans uh that being Mitchell Evans combination has been huge um he had he has third Mitchell Evans that is uh has 13 passes has caught 13 passes in his 15 targets the past two games um he had 134 yards on six receptions against Duke last night um he obviously was huge last week against Ohio State um they're they have their identity like Notre Dame you know exactly they know exactly who they are I think you're just kicking yourself more and more if you're an an Irish fan uh this this week because you're like we should have beat Ohio State and we would be right there um atop like that would be two great back-to-back wins at Duke which is a top 25 team top 15 team really to this point and Ohio State who's a top five top seven team so I think Notre Dame to me probably be ranked fourth or fifth right now yeah they would be a CFP favorite um, still to this point uh, if they were able to close the deal down the stretch there. But they're versatile offensively, and I like that. I like that they have their two tight end combination that just feels very Notre Dame to have two good tight ends that they can rely on. Um, And Audric Estime had that great opening drive. Um, They had that good fake punt call uh, that went to their talented running back. Um, What is his name? Um, Why am I blanking on his name? Uh... I cannot remember his name. They have so many different backs. I can't, I'm blanking on who it was. Um, But he had a great game as well. I just think Sam Hartman, he raised the level of what Notre Dame can be this year. Defensively, they've been really good, especially red zone. So this was also an Irish illustrator that I thought was interesting because I've talked about on this program what their stats are defensively. And they're also explosive offensively. It's just, they're very different in a multitude of ways. But defense, like the defense is legit. Like when they have all 11 
players in the field, Matt Green. This is a defense to be reckoned with. Um, they have a 35% touchdown rate, seven touchdowns on 20 trips uh, for teams that have come into the red zone against the Irish. It's one of the best in the country. Um, they have the number six overall red zone defense. You just got to keep 11 uh, players in the field. Just got to keep 11 players in the field. But I think Notre Dame is an elite team in a lot of ways. And I think there's so many of these times, like, you just got to get the dub. And they got away uh, in in at Duke, um, got to win, and they move on. So season's still alive. CFP still in play. Uh, still, we're not even halfway point in the season yet. So big win for Notre Dame. Duke still nothing to hang their head about. Still a great team. They're missing their best tackle in this one. Uh, so that was huge for them. But I don't know. Uh, big win for, for Notre Dame is the big takeaway for me. Yeah, I think I think you gotta. Ultimately, it's a good win, and they gotta. Their their season's coming up basically the next couple weeks, like with uh, at Louisville and USC these next couple weeks. I think if they get past those teams, like this team, I think they they have an eleven to one regular season. But that's gonna be tough, and especially what we've seen from Louisville to this point, and slowing down that USC USC offense will be very tough as well. But I think they get USC at home, right? That's a home game. Yeah, USC is a home game. So that's big. Um, kind of got a lot of luck there. Ohio State and USC at home, same year. That's where you want to be if you're Notre Dame. Um, now it's time, Matt Green. After a big tweet from you, and I turned into a TikTok. <laughs> we do all this about signature wins, and you went on a Lane Kiffin hate diatribe on last week's show. I defended my guy Lane to this point and what Ole Miss has been. And then he goes out. And I feel like uh, the Dumb and Dumber reference is in order for you. <laughs> I, was, where I, I just thought it right as you said that. That's hilarious. He goes out and totally redeems himself in the eyes of Matthew W. Green. Are you ready to come to terms with Lane Kiffin is an elite college football coach, sir? I'm not going to, I don't know if I'm going to jump to that, that conclusion, but, um, I, I will apologize to Lane Kiffin, you know, that I was, uh, I was questioning him. I was calling Ole Miss fraudulent mm. and, um, this was a big time win. I was corrected though. And another sidebar here, um, Tori, we heard everyone talking about signature wins mm. and she said, why do they call it a signature win? A signature win is something that you always do. Like it's your signature, like signature mm. move. You know, the Diamond Dallas Page with the with the diamond cutter, right? Mm -hmm. This is a marquee win. You know, so it's interesting. I'm not sure why we use this word, term signature win, but I. Mm. So that's just a sidebar. So the marquee win that Lane Kiffin needed. This was huge, and I think because of the way it was done, you know, like. He, every Alabama game is just made to be so big and the offense didn't show up for that Alabama game a week ago. Like it's one thing when, when you're, when you're losing these games in a track meet and your offense as a big time offensive coach, your offense is working. So to win this game where you just, this was an absolute track meet, excuse me, an absolute track meet. So this obviously Lane Kiffin's offense was looking good. 700 over 700 yards of offense in this one almost 400 yards passing over 300 yards rushing like they were absolutely destroying lsu but i'm gonna move the goalpost on lane kiffin here because what i told you and what i asked you before this game was what i said is lsu going to finish a top 25 team 
And you were like, obviously, yeah. And he didn't have a good record versus teams who finished top 25. And then I asked you, is, is LSU winning 10 games? You're like, I think so. And he, he's never beaten a team that's won 10 games. Well, now LSU has two losses, so they're probably not going to win 10 games. And then are they They still got AM, they still got Alabama on the schedule. Are they going to finish top 25? I don't even know that. So I hate to be like, you know, covering my own uh, ass over here and, uh, you know, moving the goalpost, but it is a big time win. I'm not going to take that away from Lane Kiffin. But there is a chance that those numbers are still are still the same after after this year. Well, fear not, Bayou Bengal fans, because I saw this from a a, a, a Baton Rouge LSU reporter where Pete Jenkins, uh, I think, is back um, with the t- LSU Tigers after they gave up more than 700 yards uh, in this game against Old Miss um, back to its football staff. So he remember he retired as the LSU defensive line coach uh, in 2017 so uh maybe that's all they're missing let's bring ed ordron back uh to the the defense and get that magic interim but, coach extraordinaire i mean the biggest thing to me jalen daniels also Jalen daniels has a death wish like he took another crazy oh. shot in this one where i don't know what else to like it's just I can't imagine being an LSU fan and watching him take these shots over and over again, especially with his frame. It's just it's amazing that the guy is I mean, he's a warrior and he's also elite like he had another great game Uh, 91.2. He outplayed Jackson Dart in this one. And it's just it's going to be forgotten that he was on the losing side of this. But he's been excellent all year long. And it's been a CFP type offense for LSU. Like their offense is great and kept clicking all across the board. The defense has real problems, and I don't know what you do. You can save it this year because now you're out of the playoff. Like you said, you still got a lot of big games left in the calendar. I I think they're in a weird spot because I think Brian Kelly is still a great coach. I still think LSU is moving in the right direction. They are going to continue to get better, get that defense right. The offense is right. I just I wonder where the expectations are in uh in Baton Rouge because now you're out of the playoff early uh, in this 2023 season and it's year two and we we talk about the year two bump all the the time but this is going to be one of those where it seems like they're going to lose more games than they lost a year ago they're not going to make the SEC title game I just wonder what the temperature is um, in one of the hardest and most difficult but also the most rewarding jobs in the sport I'm very curious to see how the rest of the season plays out for for LSU because they got to get right and they got to get that defense right because they still have some gigantic games remaining on the calendar to avoid going to eight and four or something because I think that does not sell nearly as well uh going into next year Yeah, for sure and and if you would have told me that Jaden Daniels is is what was 27 of 36 over 400 yards four touchdowns no picks had almost 100 yards rushing too like LSU loses that game Mm -hmm. like for their defense to get torched like that like I think that is a pretty alarming sign. And and you I think you have to look at LSU. Like, and I think there's a chance LSU is still a better team than Ole Miss, you know, but they got them on the road in a hostile environment. But, you know, the the Ole Miss game wasn't supposed to be one of the toss-up games, right? Preseason. The Alabama and AM and Florida State, like those are supposed to be the toss-up games. So if you're losing to Ole Miss, like barely beating Arkansas, like there's there's some other teams in this division that that are probably going to beat you. So 
I uh, I am. I'm I'm kind of curious to how many losses this team's really going to have this year. I and love a- the trio of Harris, Judkins, and Dart, though. Those three, I mean, they've got some weapons this year. Are you ready to say Old Miss can win the West, Matt Green? I don't know. I don't know if I'm there. I think... Um... I think the fact that Alabama's already got that win over them, I think that's not I don't see how many I don't see Alabama losing two more times, right? And Alabama's gotta lose twice for Ole Miss mm. to get back in the in the SEC championship. So I mean it's possible, you know, Alabama's, you know, not not the juggernaut that they have been in past years, but I think there's still a lot of winnable games on their schedule. So I think AM is is probably in as good a position as anybody, but they got Alabama this week. So that there that'll be decided. I, I think the SEC West could potentially be decided uh, next week. It's funny you say that. That's what I wrote down. I'm like, I don't know if people know this or not, but AM Alabama next week is gigantic. And that could end up de- deciding uh, who is moving on to Atlanta to p- face potentially the dogs um, in a few months here. But that's a big one going to next week. And then you have we already A&M. given Georgia the East. I'm saying, I mean, hold on, folks. We're operating <laughs> on the assumption until it happens. The team that hasn't lost a regular season game um, in it's over two years. Yeah, I might go ahead and lean that way. So until it happens, I'm not saying the Vols or the, the Missouri Tigers can't uh, come around and win this thing from the dogs. But until I see it, I'm just going to I'm going to yeah, operate. Wildcat fans on listening right now are getting real upset. They got a they got a big time prime time game with Georgia next week. A battle of undefeateds in the SEC East. And that's a night game you said too, right? It is. Okay. Between the hedges. Maybe they'll rock black jerseys. Who knows? Everyone else does it. No, Poor Georgia fans. They don't get everything they want. We they just, just want some them. black jerseys. The recruits love them. The recruits, their recruits rocking, rocking red pants and white pants and white helmets. The recruits are doing crazy things. We just want to wear the, the black jerseys. Well, they, without the dog collars. I have to specify, without the dog collar. Yeah, the dog collars. Very cringe. Too cartoony. No. You don't want to be that. I mean, when you're watching on TV, you, you don't really notice it. But it's... I don't like knowing that it's a dog collar. Um, Yeah, no, that was... that. I, I didn't enjoy those. Um, I actually think those were worse than what they wore against Boise State um, in the Dome many years ago. I think the dog collar was actually cringier than what they wore in the Dome. Only because, like I said, it wasn't as noticeable when you're watching. I wouldn't mm. say it was as bad, but that that silver helmet with the red stripe and the red on the face—that was just—I'll never. The, yeah, you're right. Those they called them the Power Ranger uniforms. Mm. Everyone called them that, but the the uniforms themselves weren't that bad. If they would have rocked like the regular helmet or something mm. with them, but yeah, the uh, I, the helmet was just awful. The Honeycomb era for Georgia Tech was also very silly because again yellow jackets don't create honey like that was a whole crazy thing but also they just didn't look oh, good oh my god that didn't even occur to me uh, that, those are supposed to be for scad i think i think scad is the bees was that really what they were supposed to be for no i just made that oh, okay up. That yeah, is like they were doing a solid now. to scad okay <laughs> um well speaking of tech you can hear something that will make you feel better uh georgia tech lost a bye game at home where they wore the black so this was just an all-around worst case scenario weekend for georgia tech they have this awesome uh, video they post on Twitter this week, uh, hyping up their black and gold uniforms they wore uh, many years ago that were great. Like, they looked really good. 
Um, Except for their navy, their navy in gold. Why are they wearing black? I thought this was. I saw the the Instagram post. I thought it was Purdue or Vanderbilt rocking these uniforms. I think they've done both, and they've gone back and forth over the years between the navy and the black. I think it's fine. What I'm also saying, they have bigger issues, Matt Green, which is they were also glow in the dark uniforms they wore for an afternoon game. Which, all right, sure, whatever you got to do. But also, is you that should, right? Yeah, they were glow in the dark. And then you wear those in the afternoon and then you end up losing a buy, a buy game to Bowling Green. Not even a good group of five team, Matt Green. You have all this goodwill. Haynes King is dealing. The offense is rolling. Buster Faulkner's got that thing cooking on the flats. Brick Key getting all kinds of great vibes and um, they're soaring up recruiting rankings. I think they're somewhere around the 25th spot. Uh, in two four seven, Wake Forest on the road. You beat Wake Forest on the road, and then you go and get thrashed at home to Bowling Green. Matt, what 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 is there to say about Georgia Tech and what happened on Saturday for you? Yeah, there's not much you can say. Obviously, Georgia Tech's a rebuild. It wasn't uh, Brent Key wasn't going to fix this thing in year one, but uh, it felt like they were starting to have a pulse at mm. least like that Louisville game. Like they, you know, they're going back and forth. It was a close game. Arguably should have won the game. Uh, Ole Miss, you know, they were keeping that one close, like into the fourth quarter. But um, now uh, actually getting a road victory, like there were, there were, there were some signs, but no, losing to Bowling Green. I don't know. Is it a, is it a trap game with, uh, with Miami coming up next week? I don't know, but uh, it's, it's a terrible sign. Goodness gracious. Um, is Miami rocking the, their glow-in-the-darks versus Tech? Is I hope they have a night game. I saw they have some kind of, what do they call them? Like Miami Vice or something, mm. some sort of name like that. I'm not sure. But they have some Miami Knights, maybe something like that. But uh, yeah, they have some sort of glow-in-the-dark thing going on too. Okay. I mean, maybe. Maybe that's what happens here. But goodness gracious. Poor Yellow Jacket fans. Um Matt Green, before we hit on uh, Oregon State and uh, another dub for me in the Pick'em uh, this week, I wanted to, well, let's hit another uh, yeah, one that we'll, I was... We'll have to uh, get to a, to the Pick'em results as well. Uh, we're saving that for the end, because I know the ground, unfortunately, for one co-host continues to continues to stray away uh, based on another weekend of dubs. Yeah, uh, might not be as great as you think over there, but uh, mm. we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wait till we'll wait till that to the end. When I'm looking at here, I just I see a lot of dubs. Um, so I don't know what you're looking at here, sir, because I seem to recall you even picking, I think, South Carolina outright last week on the show. No, no, no. Did you not? I picked South Carolina just to cover. I got okay, that was it, just to cover. Okay. Um, Still dubious uh, on that front. But <laughs> I think we have to ha- talk about the Sam Pittman era at Arkansas. Ooh. They lose a rough one um, against... The Texan and Maggie's in Jerry World, they've lost this game a lot. I didn't realize how lopsided this rivalry really is. Um, they recruit the same area. Um, obviously, a big rivalry for uh, the Hogs and AM and the Aggies. But backup quarterback KJ Jefferson came into the year preseason. A lot of people like KJ Jefferson. Obviously, Kendall Bryles moves on uh, to TCU. Enter Dan Enos, who's coached a lot of different stops at this point as OC. And the offense is just a shell of what we've seen the first couple of years in the Sam Pittman era. And I mean, AM gave up two yards total rushing to Arkansas in the second half. Uh, 
three straight losses now for Arkansas. Um, they got dominated up front by Texas A&M on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, they, Texas A&M outgained Arkansas 414 to 174. Arkansas has now lost 11 of the last 12 Southwest Classics here, Matt Green. This is year three for Sam Pittman. It feels like we're... This is year four. I mean, year four, yeah. They're going the wrong direction. And I just wonder, from your perspective, are we getting closer to hot seat talk for Sam Pittman? Are Arkansas now in real jeopardy of maybe even missing a bowl game this year? Is the program going the wrong way? Like, what should expectations be for Arkansas fans um, going forward? Where are you at with this particular loss, what you saw in the direction of Sam Pittman's program? I will say this, this is kind of the formula I, I thought we were going to see from this game. And because Arkansas just hasn't been able to run the ball this year. Mm. And they're, they've been one of the better running teams in the SEC two years in a row. And Rocket Sanders is back for this one. And, you know, who knows if he's 100%. But A&M just shut down this running game. And if Arkansas is not running, like, they just, they're not going to beat you. And so, I don't know. I just, I love Sam Pittman. I think everyone loves Sam Pittman. He actually looks at Arkansas as like a destination job. It's like, it feels like Arkansas is like a more relevant program right now than they were five, 10 years ago, or at least, at least after Bobby Petrino left and Bielema had his, some bowl game, some seven, eight win teams maybe, but it just felt like they were an irrelevant program. It feels like right now, Arkansas is at least competing, even if they are coming out on the on the losing side lots of times so i don't know it's it's hard to say like i think the byu loss is the one that's that's really stinging right now because you weren't supposed to beat a&m or lsu coming to this season so lsu was definitely closer than people thought and 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 a&m you know they kind of dominated this game but Arkansas goes into this goes in the season and loses to say Alabama, AM, and LSU and beats everyone else. Like that's that's best case scenario, basically. So the BYU loss definitely derails that. And I don't know how many more games, how many more losses are on this schedule. Like they have, I think, Florida, right? Are they at home or on the road versus Florida? Um, at Florida, like that's gonna be tough, but obviously at Ole Miss, at um Alabama. You ready? I got it in like, front of me now. Okay, go for it. They got Ole Miss next week. On the, on road, the road, right? Yeah, okay. Then they go to Alabama the following week on the road. Mississippi State at home. At Florida. Auburn at home. FIU at home. And then Mizzou to close the year. That's... Yeah, that Mississippi State is a, it's a, it's a must win if there's ever been one. Um, I mean, there's no reason they can't beat um, Auburn, FIU, and Missouri, obviously, to close the to close the mm. season. I mean, at home, like you know, that that's that's probably if they're gonna if they're gonna do it. So there could be four wins on here, um, and and there's no reason to think they are, they're not necessarily a better team than Florida. They could easily be a better team, but going on the road in the SEC is is just a hard thing to do. So. I don't know. It's hard to find many wins on this schedule, but I, I tend to think they still go bowling. And I think hmm. as long as you're going bowling, like the, obviously that's not the standard for Sam Pittman, but it's like it could be worse. And I think 
I don't know. It depends on how they're losing some of these games as well. Yeah, I mean, we've seen better. Like, Bobby Petrino obviously got them to the highs of highs. Houston Nutt got them to number one in the country at one point. Like, they have been. Number, in, when were they number one in the country? Under Houston Nutt? Against Tennessee, the Tennessee game in the mid, late 90s. They were number one, I think, going into that game. That's not Houston Nutt. He wasn't there that He wasn't there in the 90s, was he? Yeah, hold on. He was at Ole Miss. Uh, was he at Ole Miss before Arkansas? Tennessee. I thought he was hold at Ole on. Miss. I'm I'm throwing I'm uh I'm throwing a lot at you right now. Yeah, hold on. The because it was the fumble game by Arkansas uh, in New York. Uh, okay, they were number ten that right? game. Sorry, they were number ten. They were I mean, eight you're and one coming about, into that game. You're talking about like Tennessee's national championship season, right? Yes. Like 1998. Yeah, I thought yeah, they were right there. Stoner was that Stoner yes. that, that fumbled there at the end. Yeah, and then where Houston Nutt was there from. So who would that have been? Was that not Houston Nutt? I thought it was Houston Nutt. 98. 98 was his first year there. Yeah, and they came in from Boise, so 98 right? 98 to, uh, to 2007. So then he would have been, he would have had to go to Ole Miss after um, Arkansas. Okay. And then, yeah, he played for two SEC championships uh, against, what, 02 and 06? Mm-hmm. No, 98. 07. No, 98 wasn't. That was, um, I think that was Mississippi State's one SC championship. Oh, they tied. Actually. And because, yeah, I guess it had to be that because then Mississippi State lost to Tennessee. And that, that's right. But yeah. yeah, Mark Rick's first SEC championship was over Arkansas. And mm. then um, the Tebow, one of the Tebow years, Tebow McFadden. Mm. Um, so that'd have been 06. I mean, it's one of those interesting things. Can Arkansas do All better? Right, I guess that'd have been Chris Leak's starting year, actually. Yeah, I think Sam Pittman, like you saw the worst, like Chad Morris hire was a disaster and set them back uh, significantly. But I mean, they I think Arkansas, good recruiting area. You can recruit Texas really well. There is a lot of talent. You're in the SEC. The program as a whole, like the athletic department at Arkansas is actually pretty elite. The baseball program's elite. The basketball program with Eric Musselman's been elite since that hire came in. So I'm curious to see how they approach Sam Pittman in this offseason if they go five and seven and they finish the year with a loss to mizzou at home which mizzou looks good I'm not that's the thing i guess i'm not like i'm not ready to call missouri a top 25 team right now like sure hold like on they're, they're a top 25 team they're good yeah sure they're they're fine they're looking good they beat vanderbilt this past week like let's not let's not go let's not go too nuts or anything so like this arkansas team could easily go seven and five eight and five if they win a bowl game or something and if you're if you're winning seven and seven, eight games at Arkansas, like, I don't think that's enough to be losing your job. Okay. We'll see. I just don't know. Uh, I don't know how, what the temperature is on, on that regard. And then yeah, if they miss a bowl game next year could be some legitimate hot seat talk. Even if, I don't know, it feels like they just like him. So I don't, mm. I don't even know if, if it's just how we feel from the outside or how they really feel uh, in Arkansas. Uh, top 10 teams, Matt Green, you have a take on this among the top 10, the, the, whether or not there are any dominant top 10 teams to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think my top 10 hasn't really changed a, a whole lot in the last couple weeks. And, um, I think you saw the AP poll come out this week and Georgia's down to, I want to say about 35 first place votes, mm-hmm. Texas and Michigan, both getting double digit, uh, first place votes. And I, I just want to maybe it's to talk Georgia fans off the ledge uh, about uh, just not 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 beating everybody sixty five to seven 
Um, because there's right now through five weeks, like who is the best team in college football? Like I tend to side with a team that just won back to back national championships and it is five and oh, even if they are zero and five against the spread. But it's like you look at Florida State, like we were kind of talking earlier, like barely beat Boston College, barely beat Clemson. Like the LSU win is better than anyone Georgia's beaten to this point. If you want to rank their resume over, like that's fine. Michigan to this point basically has no good wins. Like at Nebraska, sure, they dominated, but there's, you know, we, we still don't know about Michigan. So it's hard to overly overreact to them. You've seen at least Texas and and uh, Ohio State have the big road wins over top 10-ish teams, even if we're kind of not sure how to feel about Alabama and Notre Dame. But you're also seeing, uh, like, Washington getting first-place votes, and this team just beat uh, Arizona by seven points on the road. Like, we Oregon had a game. They beat uh, Texas Tech. What was it, by six or by eight on the road? So you're seeing teams – There's. Like, yeah, the Georgia Bulldogs are not immortal. There's no just super dominant team out there that, oh, if you're not winning by 40, you have no chance running with the with the big boys this year. Like, I just don't think that's the case. So I want all fans, as well as mainly Georgia fans, but I want all fans to just enjoy each Saturday. And just all, the only, you don't have to win the national championship on September 30th or whatever day Saturday was. On October 7th, you don't have to win the national championship. On October 7th, you got to beat Alabama or you got to beat Texas A&M. And then you go to October 14th. It's like you, it's it's one week at a time. So you, you, we don't have to constantly be measuring everybody among who the elites are. It's like just just take care of business and hopefully your team at the end of the season is uh, is capable of winning a national championship. Because right now, there's a lot of teams that are just – that have some flaws and I, I won't, I don't think there's one team you can like, is there a team you can point to right now that you're like, they have not shown a flaw through five weeks. I like it. I, or who close it, who closest fits that in your, in your mind. Who go Wait, say that, repeat that question. Um, like it, just who's a flawless team through, through the first five weeks of the season. I think in terms of flawless, or who's there, whose resume is the most flawless. Michigan, probably. But it's against nobodies, right? I would say I at mean, least Penn State's looks like they have a ranked win, right? Whatever you think about Iowa, like they're they're taking care of business covering every week, right? Like I mean, Texas, I guess it's just because Texas schedule is, you know, they've they've kind of slept walked through some of their cupcake games. Obviously, they beat Alabama on the road, and that's the ultimate flex that any for anybody to have. I think it's for me either Texas or Michigan. I mean, Texas curb stomped Kansas this week, and Jonathan Brooks, twenty-one carries, two hundred eighteen yards, two TDs. Like him and Baxter now, a great one-two punch. Ewers had a huge day. I mean, no Jalen Daniels. Bean was awful. There was a great uh, fumble into a touchdown that I've never seen in this game from Kansas, but that was really the yeah. the only highlight that's, for the. But Jayhawks. you look at Texas, and that's like three weeks in a row that they've played someone's backup quarterback, and like Jalen Milrow, like maybe the worst Alabama quarterback of the Nick Saban era, like with all due respect to Jalen Milrow, like, so they've also had some, you know, not, not to, not to who did they, they ain't played nobody, Paul, like not to go there, but it's like, there's, there's a lot of teams that still have a lot left to prove. I just think Michigan right now, my gut tells me it's the best team in the country. Like that's where my gut is. I think they're the most complete and can win in the most amount of ways. I mean, Nebraska led the big 10 in rushing 
before this week, and they only were able to run 116, 106 yards on Michigan. McCarthy only had to throw 16 times. Like, you just look at it. I just think Michigan doesn't have to do much. They just kind of remind me of the last two Georgia teams where they don't have to do a whole lot to beat you. Like, they just know they're going to walk in. They just take care of business. They're well-coached all across the board. For me, I just look at the Wolverines right now. I think they're the most complete team in the most important areas all across the board. Now, that doesn't mean they'll win the championship, but I think my gut tells me that Michigan is the most complete team to this point in the year. I just, and that's, that's definitely possible. I just like for all the talk about Georgia's schedule, like this Michigan schedule, I feel like it's even worse. Like, I don't know Mm. where the strength of schedule stuff like ranks. Well, I should say for the first nine games, it's without a doubt worse. They do have two top five teams in the final three games. And so that's definitely more difficult than anything Georgia's got on their schedule. Um, especially at Penn State. But through the first nine games, like they're not even playing anyone like with a pulse. Like I it's they might be the best team in college football, but it's like we won't find out until like mid to late November, basically. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, Matt Green, a couple other things we can run through. Colorado comes on late to give USC a little bit of a scare. Um, we talked about uh, Texas and Michigan taking care of business. Um, Louisville goes on the road and wins at NC State, a sneaky tough place to win on a Friday night. So big win for the cards there. Oregon State takes down Utah, who finally got caught with some bad offenses without Cam Rising. Um, good game from uh, uh, Silas Bolden, who had uh, his first 100-yard game. He had six catches for 100 yards. He played really well. Um, so big win for for the beeves um but yeah overall a very fun college football weekend but to wrap things up where do things stand right now matt green based on our picks from last week good sir yes sir to uh to close it out so we both went nine and two overall uh win loss Mm. this past week so you got still got one game lead on me overall 41 and 14 on the season to my 40 and 15 uh, but I gained a game on you against the spread this week, sir. Mm. Seven and four I was against the spread. Uh, you were six and five. So, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of time left. You are now on the season 33-21 and one against the spread to my 32-22 and one. So you're, uh, you're trailing both of them by, by uh, or you're leading one, both of them by, by just one game. And Zeus with NC State, mm. they didn't win the game, but they did cover the spread so we're counting it for zeus that's six and one on the season he's giving you winners against the spread that's the most important thing there you go uh matt green always a pleasure and i'll talk to you very soon yes sir this has been ingram radio voice of the atlanta braves and i'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase thomas podcast as a friend of the podcast i'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one to show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker, or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you that you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.